0: Sometimes it could be maybe difficult to understand these uh, books of prophecy. But Lord, that's why we have Bible study night. That's why we uh, go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through these passages. I pray you'd help us to be attentive as we look at this passage tonight, chapter 2 of Hosea. I pray you'd bless tonight. Help us to have listening ears to be able to hear from your word. In your precious name I pray, Amen. Alright, well we're there in Hosea chapter number 2. And I'm not going to take the time to go through and and, uh, cover what we dealt with last week. But if you remember last week in chapter 1, we were introduced to the family of the prophet Hosea. And just real quickly, just uh, so you can kind of refresh your memory. If you look at verse 2 of chapter number 1, the Bible says, The beginnings of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredoms, departing from the Lord. And the Bible tells us there the book of Hosea, and you've got to remember Hosea was a real man with a real wife. His wife's name, Gomer, was a real woman, and his children there were real people. And God told this man, Hosea, which if you remember, the name Hosea it represents who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Hosea represents God or the Lord Jesus Christ in this uh, book of the Bible here. And Gomer, if you remember, represents you and I because we are the, the wife we've been espoused to the Lord Jesus Christ and we are the bride of Christ and, and, and it, uh, Gomer represents God's people, Hosea represents the Lord Jesus Christ and if you remember there, we went through the three children's names there and they all represented the relationship between Gomer and Hosea's wife and, and if you saw there, if you look at verse 2 again, he said go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and the children of whoredoms and here's the reason, for the land hath committed great whoredoms departing from the Lord, so He says, in the same way that my people have departed from me, God is saying, He says, Hosea, He he had Hosea marry a woman who would commit adultery on him, a woman who would be a wife of whoredoms, a woman who would be a harlot, and to picture the fact that often you and I in our spiritual marriage with God Almighty God will commit spiritual adultery and spiritual whoredoms with the Lord when we uh, are, are unfaithful to God with the people of this world. Now, here in verse number 1 begins, and it's the story of Hosea, but you got to remember, it pictures the relationship between God and His people. And in Hosea chapter number 2, if you look at verse 1, the, the Bible, the setting here, you got to remember, chapter 1 introduced us to the family of Hosea. In chapter 2, Hosea comes home to a house that has been abandoned by his wife. He comes home and his wife is gone. Her things are packed. The children are left there. Notice how he responds. Look at verse 1. He says, Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, talking to his son, and to your sisters, Ruhama, talking to his daughter. Now, do you remember from last week that two of the three children were not, the Bible is very clear, the fact that they were not actually Hosea's children. One was his son, and the other two were children that were born out of the adultery that his wife was committing. And Hosea raised those children still as his own children, but they were not physically his children. And here you see this man. you got to remember, You know, we read these passages and we think, you've got to think of the fact that this is a real human being coming home. His wife's gone, her stuff's gone. He looks at his children. He begins to, to, to mourn or, or, or his heart breaks. Look at our response, verse 2. Look what he says to his children. The older children, obviously they know what their mother is involved in. They know why their mother has left the home. They understand the situation. In verse 2 he says, plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries. From between, her, between her breasts. So notice, he under, they, they understand exactly why is mom gone? Why is she not home where she should be? Look at verse 3. Lest I strip her naked and set her in the way that she was, that, uh, she was born. And make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land. And, and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children. For they be the children of whoredoms. And by the way, I'm not preaching about this tonight. But our sin always affects... Other people. And the sins of this woman affected her children... And you know, as much as you want to think that, oh well, that's just something I'm doing, and that's just something I'm in, and that's not going to bother anybody else. You are not an island. You are not on your own in this world. And your sin, and this woman Gomer, she had affected her children and her family there. Look, at verse five, and their mother hath played the harlot. She hath conceived them, uh, have done shamefully. For she said, notice what she said, "I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my knoll and my drink." So. She she said, I, I'm leaving. She said, I'm going to go after these other men. He said, she said, I don't want anything to do with Hosea. She said, I don't want anything to do with my children. She said, I'm going to leave my children. I'm going to leave them with their dad. And I'm going to go off and I'm going to live this lifestyle of, of, of whoredoms like the Bible says. Pretty intense, don't you think? Look at verse 6. Now in this chapter you find three, three times you find this word, therefore. And, and the word therefore kind of outlines this chapter. You see a different point every time you see the word therefore. The word therefore means because of this... Okay, So because Gomer left, because Gomer forsook her family, forsook her children, left them all to go fulfill the lust of her flesh, to go have pleasure in sin, because she left her responsibilities, notice the response of Hosea, and it's interesting because it would be very different than the response that the average man would have. You say, why is that? Because Hosea represents God here. And in verse 6, the Bible says, therefore, he says, because of Gomer forsaking her family, therefore, behold, notice what Hosea does. It says, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her path. I want you to notice point number one tonight is this Hosea restrains his wife, Hosea restrains Gomer. He goes out, and you gotta understand, this was a different society, this was a different culture. They didn't have cars like you and I have cars. They didn't have roads like we think of when we think of roads. And it was very difficult to get around at this time. And Hosea literally goes out before his wife, and he makes up the Bible. Look at verse 6 again. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. The word hedge means a barrier, or a boundary, or a fence. He says, I'm gonna literally, Hosea says, I'm gonna literally, build a fence. He said, I may not be able to force her to come home. He said, I may not be able to keep her home with her family and her husband and her children where she should be. But he said, I'm going to build a hedge around her and I'm going to restrain her to keep her from being able to go very far. He restrains her. Look at verse 6. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall. You say, why is he doing this? That she shall not find her paths. Why? Why would you do this, Hosea? Look at verse 7. And she shall follow after her lovers. And she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. That's the goal. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. And for then was it better with me than now. And here's what you to understand. Remember, this is the story of Hosea and Gomer. This is the love story of this, this family that has been given over to sin. But really, this is the story of God's love with His wayward people, you and I. And what happens is this. In the same way that Gomer left, And Hosea said, well, I might not be able to keep her, but I can stop her, I can restrain her from doing, you know, doing something she's going to really regret. In the same way, you got to understand, when you and I begin to live in the flesh, and when you and I begin to start thinking, you know, it may be better for me to leave, Gomer left the house of Hosea, Christians leave the house of God. And when we start getting this idea, well, I'm just going to quit on this whole church thing, and I'm going to quit on this whole God thing, and I'm going to quit on my responsibilities that God has given me, just like Gomer had responsibilities with her children. And we get this idea that we're going to go our way, we're going to commit spiritual whoredoms, we're going to go, you know, spend time with the world and live with someone else other than our husband God. The first step that God takes is He tries to restrain us. He tries to stop you. Sometimes I talk to people, and it's funny because, you know, I don't I don't say this to them, but I think this. You know, you talk to people, you know, you know they've got sin in their life, you know they got issues, and they, they they say things like this. I feel like I can't get ahead. I like I feel like I'm trapped. I feel like I feel like there's just a cloud over my. You ever heard somebody that? I feel like there's just like a cloud over my head, and it doesn't matter what I do. I just can't go. I just can't succeed. Hey, that just may be God restraining you, trying to get your attention, Gomer. That maybe where you're trying to go is not where you should go. Maybe where you're trying to go is the wrong place, and you ought to come back home. You ought to go back to where God wants you, to where your husband loves you, to where your family needs you, to where your children need you, to where your responsibility is. Sometimes we get this idea that we got to go somewhere, and God says, no, what you need to do is just come back home. And he says, I might not be able to force you to come. And he says, I can't force you to come back to church, God would say. I can't force you to run to your Bible and read your Bible. I can't force you to pray, but I can keep you from messing up your life in a way that you can no longer come back. And really, we look at the restraints of God as a negative thing, when really it's the grace of God keeping you from destroying your life. Keep your finger there in Hosea, and go with me to the book of Job. Job chapter number 1. In the book of Job, very famous passage there, the life of Job. You find this concept of a hedge. And it's interesting because we look at a hedge, we look at a barrier, we look at a boundary... Sometimes people get mad at preaching like biblical preaching. And sometimes people get upset and they'll say, Well, every time I go to that church, they're always trying to give me a boundary. They're always trying to tell me what I can't do and what I can't go and what I shouldn't do. You gotta understand. If the the barrier and the boundary, it's only negative if your heart's negative. You say, Why is that? Did Job have a positive heart? And what I mean by that, was Job right with God? I think that's the whole purpose of the book of Job, right? He was a man that is true to evil. He loved God. He was right with God. Are you there in Job chapter number 1? Look at verse number 9. In Job chapter number 1, and verse 9, the Bible says, Then Satan... Answered the Lord and said... I'm going to assume that you know the story of Job. I'm not going to give you a lot of context. But the Bible says there, Then Satan, Job 1.9, Answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for not? He said, this is what Satan said. Does Job fear God for no reason? Does Job love God for no reason? Does Job respect God for no reason? That's what the word not means. Look at verse 10 hast not thou talking to god about job made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side now notice Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Here's what you got to understand. For a child of God, for a gomer who loves her husband, for a gomer who loves her family, for a person that wants to be in the center of God's will, that hedge that God puts around you is not a negative thing. In fact, it's a positive thing. It will keep bad things out. For Job, it kept Satan out. Satan said, I can't touch Job. You've got a hedge about him. He says, "I can't touch his family. You got a hedge about him. Look, look at verse ten. Has not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Now notice, in the hedging of God, thou hast blessed the work of His hands." And His substance is increasing the land. See, in God's will is God's blessing. When you stay within the perimeter that God has set, you say, well, well, does God, you can go back to Hosea, does God set a physical uh, barrier around us? No, but the Word of God gives us spiritual barriers. In fact, the law of God, that's what the word law means. The Bible tells us that sin is a transgression of the law. The word transgress means to go beyond. What that means is that you've got the law of God and it is set as a boundary around us and when we go past that boundary, we sin. You understand that? And you say, well, those laws are so negative, and those laws are so restricting, and those laws... It's always, thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt not do that, and it's such a negative thing. But what you don't understand is that that barrier there is to protect you, and if you stay in that barrier, God says, that's where I can bless you. But see, you and I don't understand that, because when our minds are wrong, and our heart is wrong, Comer doesn't realize the best place for her to be is at home with Odea. And she thinks, well, I can have more fun out there, and I can have more liberty out there, and if I could just get past these barriers and these restraints. But it's the love of God that keeps you in. I want you to see, number one, He restrains her. But I'd like you to see also, number two, that He removes from her. You say, well, He removes what? And right, right here, what I'm going to show you right now is probably, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, but... I would say it's one of the greatest, hardest truths that I could think of in the Bible. But are you there in Hosea chapter 2? Look at verse 7. The Bible says, "...and she shall follow after her lovers." This is Hosea speaking. And really it's God speaking about His people. "...and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband." For then was it better with me than now. That's the goal of restraining. But that did not happen. Gomer got away from the barriers. She got away from the restraints. She went on. I want you to notice verse 8. This is Hosea speaking about his wife, Gomer. Notice what he says. For she did not know. What did she not know? That I, Hosea, gave her corn and wine, and oil, and multiplied her her silver and gold, which they... Do you see the word they there? If you don't mind writing in your Bible, I might circle that word they or underline it. it says, which they prepared for Baal. See, Hosea says, Gomer did not know that I am the one that gave her corn and wine and oil and more. You say, what is he talking about? Here's what you got to understand. See, Hosea made a vow before God on the day that he married Gomer. And I've preached a lot, and we've talked a lot about marriage around here and what that means. And one of the things that a man promises to do biblically when he takes a wife is to provide for her and his family. That's what the Bible says. A man that does not provide for his family, the Bible says he is worse than an infant. Our jobs as men are to provide for our wives. And here's what's interesting. Hosea took his vows to God so seriously that even when his wife was committing adultery he still took care of her. And he took it so seriously. Look at verse 8. She didn't even know. Could you, you know, play this out in your mind. Do you understand what this is saying? Hosea comes home someday. Gomer's gone. She's away. He goes out to look for her. He goes out to find her. Maybe he asks somebody on the road. He says, have you seen my wife? Have you seen Gomer? They might say, oh, we saw her on this side of town. He goes to that side. Have you seen? Maybe he goes to the places where you might think people like this are hanging out. And he says, have you seen my wife? I am looking for my wife, Gomer. They might point him to a direction. They might say, I saw her go into that house last night. Are you following what I'm saying? Hosea walks to that house, knocks on that door. Some guy opens the door. And he asked this man, Is my wife here? I was told my wife spent the night here last night. Was, did my wife spend the night here with you, sir? Could you imagine this? I mean, are you following what I'm saying? I mean, could, excuse me, sir? Is my wife here? Did she spend the night here last night? You know, this the guy's probably thinking to himself, This guy's going to punch me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you looking for? Her name's Goldmer. What's she look like? She looks like this, she looks like... Yeah, she's here. Well, where is she? She's she's sleeping in the back. Well, I, I brought her some food. I know she's hungry. Are you following what I'm saying? I, I, I brought her a jacket. I know she's cold. I, I miss her and I'd like her to come home, but but I, I want to make sure she's taking... Could, could you take a little bit... Maybe, could you give her this money to make sure she doesn't go hungry? This is the love that this man... Has. Now, see, you and I would say stick around with that woman. I'm getting get me some divorce lawyer. And I'm not going I'm not, to let some woman disrespect me. Look, the Bible said that this man took so seriously the vows he made while his wife was with another man. He said, I will still provide for her. Amen. Isn't that amazing? And you and I today, my husband left his sock on the floor. Where's the divorce court? Where's the divorce court? We're so silly about it. You, say, you know, the Bible says that God hates Divorce. The Bible says that God hates putting away. The Bible says that God has a love for you and I in the same way that Hosea, you say. here's the purpose of the, the story of Hosea. When you and I are committing spiritual adultery, He still takes care of you. He still loves you. God doesn't run to divorce court. God doesn't run to a lawyer. See, here, here's the you say, but here's the funny thing. She doesn't even know it. Look what? at verse 8. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold. Notice what it says. Which they prepared for Baal. Baal's a false god. He says to this man, Could you give this to my wife? I'd like her to be taken care of. I don't want her to be cold tonight. I don't want her to go hungry. This guy takes that stuff, probably chuckles, slams the door. Gomer wakes up. Hey, look what I got for you. Hey, look what I have. We can sacrifice to our false gods now. She didn't even know. Look at verse verse 5. It was chapter 2, verse 5. For their mother hath played the harlot. She hath conceived them that have done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. Notice what she says. I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drinks. She says, my lovers take care of me. No, they don't, Gomer. Look at verse 8. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver. See, Hosea was taking care of her the whole time. Her lovers were watching out for her. She didn't even know. You say, what's the big deal? I don't understand. Go go to Matthew. Keep your finger there, Hosea. Go to Matthew chapter number five. So you've got to understand this. Hosea was providing for his wife, and the things that she was providing, that he was providing, were the exact things that they were using to party away from him, to have fun. To commit adultery, could you imagine? Are you there in Matthew chapter 5? Look at verse 45. Matthew 5:45. The Bible says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh, notice, he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. See, here's what you got to understand, you can go back to Hosea, the blessings of God come upon all of us, whether you're right with God, whether you're wrong with God, whether you're living in sin. Here's what I think is funny, you and I, as a child of God, God allows you to wake up and we take that day to do something else with it than to serve Him, when He gave you that day. We, the money He gives us, we use it to blaspheme His name. The breath that He gave us. We use it to blaspheme His name. The, the fact that He gave you help and the fact that He gave you a job or He gave you money or He gave you an opportunity or worship him And then we take the things that God gives us and God provides us to be able to go and worship some other God. Saying, what is this about? I can't imagine that a woman would treat her husband like this. I can't imagine that a people would treat their God like this. God restrains you and I and God provides for you and I but you know oftentimes, and I, I, I've said this often to many many Christians and I, I wish some of you would listen God will often remove those things that are keeping us from Him who is providing for her? Hosea look at verse 9 therefore will I return And take away my corn in the time thereof. And my wine in the season thereof. And will recover my wool and my flesh given to cover her nakedness. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of all her lovers. And none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease her feast days, her new moons, and her sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts, and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, these are my reward that my lovers have given me, and I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them, and I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, when she burned incest to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers, and forgot me, do you see that? Here's what God is saying. You went and had your party. You went and had your fun. He said, I blessed you. I gave you all these things. I gave you the clothes you're wearing. I gave you the food you eat. I gave you the success that you've had in your life. And you went off. And here's what you did with it. You forgot me. Could you imagine a woman that would even forget her husband? Sayeth the Lord. See, here's what you're going to understand. Number one, God restrains us. But when that doesn't work, then God begins to remove from us those things that we put before Him. Do you want to know why Pastor Jimenez doesn't work on Wednesday nights? Now, I don't love money, but I like money. I need money. I use money to feed my family. And you know why? Because I've... You don't think the temptation is there. Every once in a while, an emergency job will come in on Wednesday night or something like that. And, be, and you'll get offered somebody, you know, you, and you got this to do or on a Sunday or whatever. You know why I don't put my job before God? Because I like my job. And I'm afraid that if I put my job before God, God's going to say, okay, let's take that job away. You want to know why I don't have family time on Sunday morning? Because I've grown uh, cl- close to my children. I like them. You don't think God could take away a child if you put them before God? I'm just telling you, God... Will remove those things that we put before Him. It's called an idol. And, and, and oftentimes, do you understand? Oftentimes, God will begin to remove, and God will begin to take away, and God will put us in a position where you've got nothing other uh, to do, nothing left, nowhere to go, no one to call, and it seems like usually when we've got nothing else, every bridge has been burned, all the banks are done. The He says, "I've been caring for her. She doesn't even realize I've been taking care of her." He says, "Maybe if I start taking some of those things away, maybe she'll return. Maybe she'll come back." Keep your finger there, Jose. Go to Luke fifteen. Luke fifteen. This this is a this is how God works. You got to understand. This is how God works. Do you remember a very famous story of a young man? We call him the prodigal son. You familiar with the story? Are you there in Luke fifteen? Look at verse number eleven. Luke 15, number 11. You'd be surprised how how close these stories are together. Look what it says. Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followed to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now let me ask you a question. Where did the substance come from? The father. And he took what the father gave him to go away from the father and waste his substance in riotous living. Where did Gomer's money come from? Her husband. And she took what her husband had given her to go away from her. Are you seeing the parallels here? And God blesses us. And God gives to us. And God gives it, And then we take what God gives us to forget about God. It's the same story. So then God begins to remove. Look at verse 14. And when He had spent all. You see that. It's all gone now. There arose a mighty famine. So now not only is what you have gone. But now the economy is bad too. Because there's a famine. In the land. I, I wonder if there's a... Economic recession in America because God's trying to get a hold of some of us. And when He had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And He began to be in want. you know what that means? He was in want. That means He wanted things He didn't have. Why? Because God had removed everything He had. Are you seeing the parallels? Look at verse 15. And He went and joined Himself to a citizen of that country and He sent him into the field to feed swine. Now you gotta understand. To us, that would be pretty low. But to a Jewish boy who's not allowed to touch pork, who's never had pork, to go feed swine—that's pretty low. Sometimes, some things God has to humble us so that we'll acknowledge Him. And He, look at verse sixteen: Would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat? But what it says. And no man gave unto him. Keep your finger there on Luke 15. We're going to come back to it. But here's what you're going to understand. If you ever feel like you're in the place where no one can help you, where everything has fallen through, there is no, there's no Calvary coming. Let me tell you something. That's exactly where God wants you. Because oftentimes God will try to restrain but if the restraint doesn't work, then He'll begin to remove those things that kept us from Him. Are you there in Hosea? Look at verse 14. Therefore, do you see your third therefore there? We said number one, God restrained her. We said number two, God removed from her. But number three, I want you to understand this. God relieves her. You say, what are you talking about? See, God is going to do this in your life. Maybe you're right with God right now, and you don't need this. But one day you may begin to go wayward. One day you may begin to commit spiritual adultery. One day you may go away from God. And let me tell you something: God's going to try to restrain you. That doesn't work. He's going to begin to remove things. He's going to take things away. He's going to bring you to the place, like the prodigal son, where he would fain have filled himself. He would have ate the husk of the pig. He said, "But no man gave to him." He's going to bring you to a place where you're all alone. There's no hope. No one can help you. No one's You are in trouble. And then here's what God's going to do. He's going to send a little relief. To show you a little bit of hope. That you can always come back home. Look at verse 14. Therefore. Behold. You would think that he's going to yell at her. You think he's going to go see her naked, hungry, on the streets, begging, and say, see, see what you did? you could going to have been at home. You, we could have to fed you. You had a family that loved you. But notice, that wasn't Hosea's attitude. Look at verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. He said, I'm going to try to get her to come back. And bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. He said, I'm going to speak nicely to her. A soft answer turns away wrath. I'm going to be nice to her. I'm going to allure her wife. Verse, look at verse 15. And I will give her her vineyards from thence. And the valley of Acor. Notice this phrase. For a door of hope. And she shall sing there. As in the days of her youth. As in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Here's what you understand. When everything's falling apart. When God has brought you to the place where you've got nowhere else to go. God will always open a door of hope. And he says, hey, there's a way back home. Now here's what's interesting about the door of hope. Look at verse 15 again. I will give her vineyards from thence. And the valley of Acor. For a door of hope. So what is the door of hope? The Valley of Acor is the door of hope. Now this would be a very interesting thing to a Jew to hear this, because the Valley, or a Bible-believing Christian for that matter, because the Valley of Acor has a lot of Jewish history in it. Keep your finger there in Hosea. Go to the book of Joshua real quickly. We've got to just do this quickly uh, so we can be true to, to the Word of God here. But I want you to see this. The Valley of Acor has some significance. Do you recognize the name of a place called the Valley of Acor? Let me show it to you. Are you there in Joshua? We've been preaching through the book of Joshua on Sunday nights. Should be fairly easy to find. Joshua chapter number 7. Look at verse number 24. Joshua chapter number 7, verse 24. Do you remember this story? Joshua chapter 7, verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan. Do you remember Achan? He stole from God. He took the accursed thing. God said, don't take anything from Babylon. Uh, Excuse me, good night. From Jericho. He said, don't take anything from Jericho. He took a Babylonian garment from Jericho. But he said, don't take anything from Jericho, don't steal anything from them, just destroy them. But Achan took the accursed thing, buried it in his tent, and and, and he lied. And and because of it, they lost the battle of Ai. Do Do you remember the story? We preached on it not too long ago. They lost the battle of Ai, and when Joshua goes to God and says, God, what is going on? God says, there's sin in the camp. Remember, your sin does not just affect you, it affects others. 3 verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel went with him, took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, so the things that he, that he stole, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. Your sin does not only affect you, it affects others. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. Okay? So they bring them to the valley of Achor. Look at the negative connotation. Verse 25. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? Now make a cute note of the word trouble. He said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. The word Achor, we are told, means trouble. The valley of Achor is a valley of trouble. It was named that after this story, because Joshua said to Achan, Why hast thou troubled us? Your sin has troubled us. And he says, The Lord will trouble you this day. Look at verse 25. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned them with fire, after they had stoned them with stones. The valley of Achor represents the judgment of God. The valley of Achor represents the fact that you got to the place where Achan couldn't... There was nowhere to go and he had to meet with God. That's a negative thing. But notice there's a positive connotation also. Look at verse 26. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord... Notice this. Turned his anger. So the Lord... I'm sorry. Turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Acre to this day. So the Valley of Acre has this negative connotation, because Achan was brought there, he was stoned there. But it also has a positive connotation, because that is where the fierceness of the Lord was turned from the children of Israel. So they were no longer under the wrath of God, because they took care of business, they got the sin out of the camp. Are you following what I'm saying? Go to the book of Isaiah. If, If you're there in Hosea, just a few books towards the left, You've got those big books, you've got Daniel, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, and then you've got the book of Isaiah. Go to Isaiah, just real quickly, chapter 65, Isaiah 65. The Valley of Acor, that reference, is only found a few times in Scripture, is found in Joshua, three times, it's found in the book of Isaiah, and it's found in the book of Hosea. So let's look at it in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 65, look at verse 10. Isaiah chapter 65... Verse ten, and Sharon shall be a flock of uh, a fold of flocks, and the valley. Look what it says of Acor. Is that a good place or a bad place? And the valley of Acor. Look what it says, a place for the herds to lie down in. For my people have sought me. Here's what you got to understand. God uses that which was a source of calamity and in the future can make it a source of blessing. See, the valley of Acor is a place of judgment. But the valley of Achor can also be a place of blessing. You say, why is that? Here's what you got to understand. When Hosea brought Gomer to the place where she had nowhere to go, her friends were gone, the parties were over, the money was gone, her clothes were gone, she was stuck. She was humble. She had nowhere to go. God said, Hosea says, Let me bring you to Acor. Immediately she would know, Acor is not a good place. I mean, could you imagine if your husband, who you've been committing adultery with, and by the way, in Old Testament Israel, adultery was punishable with the death penalty. I don't know if you know that. In the Old Testament, under God's law, if you committed adultery, you could be put to death. Here you get Hosea, going to his wife who has been committing adultery, he says, let me take you to the valley of Achor. She's thinking, that's where they stoned Achan. <laughs> is, he, is this guy going to kill me? Is he going to stone me? I mean, she's worthy of death. She's committed adultery. But notice, look at verse 15. Are you, there, are you back in Hosea chapter 2? Look at verse 15. And I will give her her vineyards from that. And the valley of Acor. he said, I'm going to give you the valley of Acor. used to be a source of calamity. He said, I will give you a valley of Acor for a door of hope. The source of calamity can one day become the source of blessing. You say, I still don't understand. Go to, keep your finger there, Hosea. That's obviously our text for tonight. Go to 1 Corinthians. We're almost done. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. Just stick with me and let's look at these few verses. We'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. Look at verse number 5. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 5, look at verse number 5. Here's what you got to understand. Sometimes God punishes us. Sometimes God troubles us. Sometimes God tries to restrain us. When that doesn't work, he removes from us, he takes from us, he puts us in trouble, he puts us to the place where we got nowhere to go. You say, why? When God does that, that's a negative thing, but it can also be a positive thing. Look at what the Bible says. Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5? Look at verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Look what it says. To deliver such an one unto Satan. Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? That's the Apostle Paul speaking of a Another individual. He says, To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? Paul says, I'm going to pray for this individual that Satan would get a hold of him and destroy his flesh. You say, That doesn't sound very nice. But look, look at the door of hope. That the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. See, in the judgment of God, there's always a door of hope. Because He may destroy your flesh, but your spirit may be saved. He may destroy your finances, but your spirit may be saved. He may take away something you really love, or something you really care for. He may take away your health, but your spirit may be saved. you understand? Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians. Go back to Luke 15. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Keep, keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians. We're coming right back to it. Remember the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. Look at verse number 16. Luke 15, verse 16. Man, we gotta hurry up. Good night. Okay, I got 10 minutes. All right, let's do this quickly. Luke 15, look at verse number 16. This boy has come to the place where he's got nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. No one will help him. His friends are gone. Everyone's gone. Look at verse 16. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. He said he, he wanted to eat the things that those pigs were eating. Those dirty pigs, they roam around in their own, you know what? And he said, man, I, I would love to just eat that. I'm so hungry. Look what it says. And no man gave to him unto him. He's all alone. Look at verse 17. And when he came to himself, here's the door of hope. And when he came to himself, there's always a door of hope. He said, I'm in the valley of Achan. There's always a door of hope. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. He said, I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And make me as one of thy was upset, his dad was mad, his dad wouldn't take him, look at verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, look, his father saw him, and was his father mad, was his father upset, did his father say, here comes that scoundrel, he wasted all my money, look what he said, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, let me tell you something may forsake you your wife may forsake you your husband may forsake you they may not want you your children may hate you they may not grant you forgiveness they may not ever allow you to reestablish the relationship you, had, you once had with them but God will always allow you to reestablish the relationship God says there's always a door hold. God says there's always a door you want to come home there's always a door come on so why does God restrain me? because He wants you to come out. why does God remove from me? Because He wants you to come back? Why does God trouble me? Because He wants to open a door of hope to help you. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Did you keep your finger there? 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This isn't specifically talking about what we're talking about, but this principle is the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful... Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape. That's the door of hope. That ye may be able to bear it. So you got to understand this. There's always. You say, why does God do this? Go to Revelation chapter 3. We're almost done. Revelation chapter number 3. Last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter number 3. You say, well why does God do this? Why does God judge me? Why does God allow me to go through these trials and these tribulations? What is God doing? God is not doing it because He's mad. God is not doing it because He's angry. God is not doing it because he's a judgmental God up in heaven who's just angry. God does this for the purpose of bringing you back whole. And you'll always make a way to escape. Are you there in Revelation chapter number 3? Look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, rebuke is not a good thing. Chasten means I'm going to spank you. That's what he's saying. He said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. But zealous, therefore, he says, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The Bible says that a parent who spanks their child, loves their child. The Bible says that a parent who does not spank their children, actually hates their children. Because when you love a child, you're going to discipline them. What's the purpose of disciplining a child? To get them to do the right thing. Why does God restrain and why does God remove? Because He wants you to come back home. See, the purpose of you existing, are you there in Revelation chapter 3? Look at Revelation chapter 4, look at verse 11. Revelation chapter number four, look at verse eleven. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So what am I what was I put on this earth for? Here's what you were put on planet earth for to bring God pleasure. Now, Pastor you're saying, I was put on this earth to be a husband to my wife. That may be a responsibility you have, but that's not your primary purpose. I was put on this earth to raise my children. That's a responsibility you may have, but that's not your primary purpose. I was put on this earth, you understand, I was just born to do this job, or I was just born to have this career. I was just born to do it. God may have given you a gift, He may have given you something to do, but your primary purpose in life is to bring pleasure to Him. That's why He created you. That's why you are here. And when you go away from that, he'll do whatever he needs to do. He'll restrain wherever he needs to restrain, and he'll remove whatever he needs to remove to get you to come back home. Go back to Hosea chapter 2. We're we're done right here. Hosea chapter 2. Say, what what do you get from all this? Look Look at verse 16. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi. We're told that the name Ishi means my husband. And so, call me no more Baali. We're told that the name Baali means master. See, Hosea wants to reestablish a relationship. He says, I don't want you to call me master, Gomer. I want you to call me husband. And by the way, Baali does not just mean master. It was the name of a false god, Balaam. See, could you imagine if your wife, you know, you're a husband. Or you ladies, if your husband came home. Or, or if your wife came home and called you by another man's name? If, if your husband came home, wife, and called you by another woman's name? You understand what I'm saying? Wouldn't you be kind of offended? But God says, that's what you do when you put other people before me. It's like you're calling me by their name. He says, Balaam's not your God. I am. Your job's not your God. I am. Your, your little... Things that you like to do and you're, 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 you know, you like to do that and you like to do this and you like to garden and that's why you can't make it to church. And you like, to, whatever it is that you're in before God. He says, that's not your God, I am. He says, you, he said you won't. thou shalt call me Ishi and shalt call me no more Baali. Look at verse 17. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth. He said, all those other names, all those other gods, all those other things you put before me. He said, no more of that. And they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. Okay, you speaking to a nation. This is what it's about. Verse 19, and I will betroth thee unto me forever. Betroth means you're going to be my wife. He says, here's what Hosea is saying to Gomer. We're going to go back and reestablish this marriage. You're going to actually act like I'm your husband. And I'm going to actually act like you're my wife. And we're going to restore this relationship. Look at verse 19. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercy. He says, we're going to do this right. And I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. You're going to be faithful, he says. And thou shalt know the Lord, and it shall come to pass, and that day I will hear, saith the Lord, and I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear just real. Say, is this whole story about Hosea getting back together with his wife? You no, know, that's just the picture that God uses. It's really about you getting back together with your husband, God. Look at verse 23. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, And I will have mercy upon her, that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou, here's the goal, here's the whole purpose. What is this story about? Here's the whole purpose. Here's what God wants. Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. Here's what God wants, a relationship with you. Here's what God wants, to be your God. Here's what God wants, for you to quit committing spiritual adultery, putting other things and other people and other uh, situations before Him. He says, I want to be able to say that you are my people and for you to respond back that I am your God. Do you realize that all that God wants is love from you and I? And sometimes He'll restrain and sometimes He'll remove. But don't worry, because when you get to the end of yourself, He'll always relieve and open that door of hope and say, Listen, Gomer, you can come home anytime you want. We can reestablish this marriage. We can reestablish this relationship. Just always remember this. There's always a door of hope. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear only Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the book of Hosea. Lord, I, I can't imagine what a man like Hosea must have been like I can't wait to get to heaven and be able to meet Hosea and the things he went through. But really this book is not about Hosea, it's about you. It's about us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to realize how incredibly offensive it is. A woman who would take another man that's not her husband and openly commit adultery, we think how disrespectful. Yet, we do the exact same thing every day to God. We're spiritually committing adultery every day. And we hurt Him and disrespect Him just as much. Lord, I pray You'd help us to get our hearts right. That we would come back and reestablish that relationship. That we would please God with our lives. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't let tonight be just another night where we would leave and say, Oh, that was a good Bible study and nothing changes. But I pray you'd help us to take inventory in our lives and to think about the things. What am I putting before God? What am I putting as an idol before God? Who am I committing adultery with? Spiritual adultery with God. What am I committing spiritual adultery with God? And help us to remove those things from our lives. Help us to come back home in our hearts. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen.